Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. I came on test. Scared me. Y'all good? That was awful. Y'all good? There you go. Uh, if I could encourage you, I really would encourage you, even if you, if you don't have kids, uh, you should just show up, really. Uh, there, there'll be a section in the back where you can kind of hang out for the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, just, just to see really what this church does. And um, I hope, so why would I ask you to do that if you don't have children? Because I think that it shows so much the heart of this church. So why would we put so much time, effort, energy, money into doing something uh, on this level? It's, it's, it's because we care about this community. I don't know if y'all heard or not, but the family's in a mess. I mean, not like yours personally. Maybe it is yours personally. I don't know. Uh, the, the state of affairs when it comes to the family, I just don't think it's good. And I think most of us realize that, you know. And there's so much that's competing for the attention of your child. And there's so many demands being placed on that child. And so what we want to do is just we want our community as a whole, to understand that we as a church are here to partner with you and to help you. It's not easy. We don't have all the answers, but together we can kind of work to figure that out. And so I know that we already have 280 kids already pre-registered, which means that there's going to be a lot of kids here. Because, again, one of those things about Springwell, when we look at 280 people signed up, my first thought was, well, who are they? One Springwell people, because our people don't sign up for anything until the last minute. And you're laughing because you know it's the truth, don't you? Absolutely. So there's going to be several hundred kids that will be here on this campus uh, this week. It's going to be amazing at what's going to happen. Uh, for the last two years, over 100, uh, the year before at least, somewhere between 75 and 100 last year, kids accepted Christ as their Savior. That's awesome, isn't it? It absolutely is. And so, honestly, I would just encourage you to show up just to be able to see. If you could just witness the first, I don't know, again, 20, 30 minutes of what we do. I even think the pre-service stuff is awesome. Um, if you could hear like 4 o'clock. No, I'm just kidding. Don't hear 4 o'clock. If you could just see, the, again, the effort and the energy that's put into it because we love, we love families. I just think you would be amazed and um, you'd walk away uh, encouraged and impressed. With, uh, with your church and the people that we have that serve here that make happen what happens here. It's phenomenal. And uh, after all, you are, uh, you're amazing people. You know, you know that? I guess not. I love, being, I love being your pastor. I really do. In fact, I love being your pastor so much. I'm so proud of you that I tell other people about you all the time. And I really love to lean in because, you know, my love, my heart is, is so much for those that never attend church and don't go to church, been hurt by church and abused by church, and, and I love reaching out to those folks. And really, my thing is, you know, it's not just if you'll show up on Sunday to hear me, because I'm not all that in a bag of chips, and, and our, our musicians are phenomenal, and we have great music, and I can brag on those guys, but honestly, one of the things that I, I tell them all the time, you should, you, I want you to know my people. 
My people are like, they're the best. They're, they're the most awesome, most loving, caring, genuine, authentic people that you will ever meet. And they're going to meet you at the door. They're going to love on you. You're going to feel welcomed. You're going to feel embraced. You're going to feel loved. You guys are awesome. Man, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I can't get y'all. But you're not perfect. <laughs> but me either. I'm not perfect either. In fact, I would probably say that I'm the chief among Springwell sinners. And I, as honest as I know how to be, I would stand here this morning and look at you and say, I've probably done most of the things that you've done. And if I haven't done them, I probably thought about doing them. And so I'm just saying that I'm probably as guilty as anybody. We're all, when you look at it, we're all, we're all just a mess. We really, really are collectively, we're just a mess. In fact, some of you may be thinking, why in the world would God extend His grace? Why would God extend His love to me with no strings attached? Because I'm a mess. And I've tried to be better, I've tried to do better, but no matter how hard I've tried, I've still end up, I still end up coming up short. And so I just can't imagine why God would extend to me this, this, this beautiful thing called grace, this wonderful thing called mercy, and the depth and the beauty and the wonder of his love. Why would God do that to sinners like us who really, if you look at it, we really haven't done anything to deserve it? Well, you're right, we are all a mess. But that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of the gospel. And if you're brand new to church and you don't know what the gospel is, the gospel is simply the good news about Jesus. It is the story of Jesus. It is the story of God's love for a sinful world. In, in fact, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That word world in the Greek really refers to the triple X-rated world. And so God had so much love. He desired so much to be in a relationship with people just like us. The worst of the worst. He had such a, a desire to be in a relationship with us that he sent his son. And his son wanted to be in a relationship with us so bad that he went to the cross and on the cross he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. It's an incredible story. It answers our cry for mercy. And here's what's really interesting to me. God called the chief of all sinners. Well, at least that's how he described himself. He described himself as being the chief of all sinners, a guy named named Paul. He was the great apostle Paul, and he called this guy to be the major spokesperson for this good news, for this, this gospel story, the story of God's love for the world. So let me give you a little bit of the backstory on old Paul, in case you don't know Paul. He was born in a place called Tarsus, and uh, it's in modern-day eastern Turkey. And he was a tent maker by trade, and I just think that's awesome for all the blue-collar people in the house. Got any blue-collar people in the house? Yeah, man, he worked with his hands. And so, you know, he was a tent maker by trade. He was an avid student under the top Jewish teacher in Jerusalem, and, and he was also a Roman citizen. So here's a guy that worked with his hands but wrote according to some scholars. He wrote with the grace 
of a great Greek philosopher, a Jewish zealot who nevertheless enjoyed the rights of the citizenship of the world's greatest empire. And he was blessed beyond anything that we could possibly describe. I don't really know how to do that. I do know <laughs> that he had incredible leadership ability. If you read the gospel, you have to walk away going, dude, like, he was a leader of all leaders. He was, he was a fighter. It's one of my favorite things about him. He was a fighter. And what I mean by that was Paul knew how to take a stand. Paul was highly motivated. Paul, Paul wouldn't let go. He wasn't afraid to stand up for what he believed. And, and he would stand for what he believed until the point of death. And they beheaded Paul because they couldn't shut him up. He was a fighter. He was highly motivated. He was determined. He was articulate. He was brilliant. I mean, really, if you look at his resume, he was the man. So no wonder God picked him, right? I mean, if you're listening to me right off the bat, you have to go, well, sure, I know why God picked him. I mean, he's brilliant. He's brilliant, so he could speak to all the intellectuals, and yet he's also like a common man. He's a blue-collar worker. He knew how to, to work with his hands, and he had all of these skills. He was a great leader. He was, he was articulate. He, he had a way with words, and so no wonder God called him. But here's the thing you may not know about Paul. He was a mess just like me and you. In fact, this is what he said about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me. Hmm that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though, I love this next verse, don't you? So you look at that, and he's, even though, he called me into a service, even though, even though, here's the thing, I was a blasphemer. I mean, really, I was. And I was a persecutor. And, and well, I was a violent man. But in spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, God felt a need, a desire. He wanted to call me into his service. He said, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love this. He says, of whom I'm the worst. So Paul said, you know what, there are sinners and there are sinners, and I just want you to know that I am the very worst of all sinners that you could possibly think of. I'm the worst. And yet, and yet, he's the worst of all sinners, and yet this is the guy. This is the guy that, that God said, I'm going to entrust you with a beautiful story of my great love for the world. I'm going to entrust you with with the beautiful story of my son's willingness to go to the cross and to shed his blood and to die to pay the penalty for sin and to be resurrected on the third day. Wow. And so Paul is, is writing this letter to a church in Rome, and it's a mixed bag of Jews and Gentiles, and he's writing to give these guys a solid foundation for their salvation because the truth is they didn't have a solid foundation. <clears throat> so for the Jews, the Jews didn't have a solid foundation because they said, yay, Jesus. Like, really, no kidding. Yay, Jesus. Jesus, you're awesome. And we believe that you are the Messiah, this group of Jews in this particular church. 
We do believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the answer, he was the Savior of the world, and that he went to the cross and that he was the Lamb of God, and then he shed his blood. That's awesome. And we believe that on the third day he was resurrected. That's awesome. But it's not just Jesus that gets you into heaven. It's Jesus plus the law. So Paul said, i gotta, I got to write you a letter so that I can help you understand. They said, well, listen, you can't just throw the Ten Commandments out the door. And Paul completely understood. Why? Because he was a devout Jew. He had studied under the greatest Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem at that time. He was very well schooled. In fact, some people believe that Paul could speak up to maybe 14 different languages. There was anybody that could identify with the Jews, it would have been him. And Paul said, hey, I completely understand where you guys are coming from. But his call was to bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11, here's how he says it. Verse 13, I'm talking to you Gentiles, and if you're brand new to church, and like, what? And honestly, you could be in church your whole life, and you read Gentiles and still never know what the meaning of the word is. It's like sometimes as pastors, as, as teachers, as preachers, we just take for granted people know stuff. And sometimes it's funny because we don't know either. I thought that was funny. Y'all didn't say anything, but I, th I think it's funny because I don't know if that we know either. I'm just bad about telling you I don't know. And so Gentiles, just an easy way to remember, how's, how do I know what a Gentile is? It's anybody that's not Jewish. Does that help you? <laughs> it's pretty easy, right? It's my own little definition. Aren't you impressed? In as much, he says, in as much as I am, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. That's my call. That's my call to reach out and share the gospel with a group of people. Why were the Gentiles so important? Because their whole life, all they knew that Yahweh was for the Jewish folk. That the, that the Jewish people were God's called out ones. They were a special group of people. They were, he was their God. And so most of them thought, you know what, there's, I'm out. There's no way I could possibly ever have a relationship with the God of the Jews. I, I'm going to be on the outside looking in. I ain't squat. There's no hope for us at all. So he's writing to give them a clear understanding of the gospel as well. So are you keeping up with the story? Paul, a highly educated, very devout, tent-making Jew, is called to reach people who ain't Jewish. I just think that'll make you smile. I mean, really, it just makes you smile. I mean, really, it's, it's not logical. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. So when you look at Paul, highly educated, some say that he went to every major university in his area. So this blue-collar, hard-working, tent-making guy went to every major university. He was well-schooled in Judaism. And you would just think that the obvious, per, the obvious group of people that he would be called to reach would be, but God ain't logical. And I love that about God. You can't figure God out. And do you want to serve a God that you can figure out, really? No kidding. Like, do you want to say, oh, I've got God figured out? Well, then that reduces God down to us. I don't want a God that I can figure out, do you? So God calls certain people to certain places for a specific task in every generation. And this is important. 
You need to find your who, not your what. You need to find your who. Who has God called you to reach? And why do I say who and not say what? Because I was raised to think it was all about the what. And when I say what, it's what are your spiritual gifts? And there are people, there's some of you that are just struggling. You go, well, you know what? God ain't giving me any spiritual gifts. I, I don't think I've been called to do anything. And you don't see yourself as being a very gifted person. And we can help you through all that. There are gift in, spiritual gift inventories that we can give you to help you figure out those spiritual gifts. But look at me. Here, here, here's what's important for you to understand. It's not about the what. The what won't do you any good if you don't understand the who. And let me tell you what I've discovered. When you understand the who, when God gives you a passion for a group of people, maybe a specific group of people like Paul was called to reach the Gentiles, and he reached some of his own, but his primary purpose was to share the gospel with the Gentiles. When you figure out the who, then you will do whatever it takes to reach the who. Is that making any sense at all? So what's your who? Who's, who's your who? I didn't say I was good at this. <laughs> so on the outside looking in, it's, it's like God is having a really busy, bad hair day when he calls Paul. I mean, really, it's like he went, what? It's like maybe, I wonder if some of the angels went, what? Paul? Like, look, he's educated. He's a devout Jew. God? Maybe he should be the one to reach the Jews. God said, nope. I want him to reach the Gentiles. And that's exactly why he is such an incredible God and a loving Father. I'm just saying. So Paul's writing to give these confused people an accurate, solid foundation for their salvation. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 1. And if you were raised in church and, like, the church really freaked you out, this is not going to be a great verse. <laughs> Can I just tell you? Like, you're going to go, oh, no, you're going to beat me over the head with the Bible. Well, let me just read it. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness. How much godlessness? godlessness how much wickedness? And you're thinking, I knew, I knew it. If I go to church, you're going to take the Bible, beat me over the head with it, and tell me how bad I am. Kind of. So he says, the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then he just lists a number of sins. And can I just say, you're going to feel, we're, a lot of us are going to feel a lot better about ourselves when we finish this passage. You ready? So I started off, and you go, oh, the wrath of God, and that's what I'm going to hear. And it's going to be judgment, and you're going to beat me over the head with the Bible. Well, let me, let me just read this passage because you're going to feel better about yourself. You ready? Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. And some of you are thinking, dude, I'm bad, but I ain't got a depraved mind. Maybe some of you got a depraved mind on a So that they do what ought not to be done. And they become filled with every kind of wickedness. And so you're probably thinking, every kind of wickedness? I got a little bit of wickedness, but not like every kind of wickedness. And then he said, every kind of evil. And you're thinking, oh man, I'm feeling better about me because I got some evil in me. But like, I'm not, I don't have every kind of evil in me, right? Don't you feel better about who you are right now? And then he says, like, every kind of greed, every kind of depravity. And then he says, he says, they are full of envy. And you're going, I got a little bit of envy. Like, you know, come on. 
Somebody pulled in in that new car, that new truck, and you went, hmm, I'd like to have me one of them. And you're thinking, I got a little bit of envy, but I'm not like full of envy. Like it's not, I, it's not eating me up. And then the next word, if nothing else does it, the next word, murder. And you're going, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm good. And then here's what Jesus would say. He would say, you know what? You feel really good about yourself because you haven't physically killed anybody, but if you look at someone else with the desire, with the heart of murder, you're guilty. Oh, shoot. Then he said, strife and deceit and malice and their gossips. Uh-oh. Got a bunch of church people right there. Slanderers. And then he says, God haters. Oh, I'm good again. You know, I'm not a God hater. And then he uses that word insolent, and we don't know what that word means, right? And so don't you love it? And you think, I'm not looking that up. You know, I don't want to know. It just, it means rude. Say it with me. Rude. You got to say it with attitude. Arrogant and boastful. And then he says, they invent ways. These are people that are so eat up with evil and godlessness that they literally invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And we look at that and we think, shoot, I mean, I'm bad, but I ain't that bad. Like this, this is the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. I'm good. And then he goes to Romans 2. You ready? You got your big boy pants on? Here we go. Romans 2, verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you you who pass judgment do the same things. Ouch. Come on, that stings a little, right? Because you thought you were doing good. And then here's the verse. Here's the verse that literally haunted me for years. Verse 16. And this is the message I proclaim. The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Your secret life. So, so, so here's what, and so it's possible to look religious on the outside and be nasty on the inside. It's possible to go to church every Sunday. It's possible. It's possible to stand in a, on a stage like this and proclaim the gospel. It's possible that you look spiritual. It's possible that you know all the right words to say and the right time to raise your hand and, and you know how to throw in the amens and whatever else. You know, you, you, you've been schooled in church and you know how to do church and do church well, but your private life is not a reflection of who you really are. So you can be outward religious and secretly be a mess. So who are you when no one else is looking? What do your private thoughts reveal about who you are? And, and that thought haunted me for years. Why didn't it haunt me for years? Because I know who I am. I know who I am deep down inside. I, I know who I am inside my own head, deep down inside my heart. I, I know who I am when nobody else is looking. How about you? Who are you when nobody else is looking? Now remember, you can look religious. 
you can play the part of being religious. You can dress the part. You can speak the part. And be as lost as a ball in high weeds. You can't get that anywhere else. I'm telling you. Ball in high weeds, some of y'all need to write that one down. So, Paul, I love the book of Romans. And so, if you, if you read Romans, you'll read those first few chapters. And I've got to be honest, they'll get a little heavy. They'll get a little heavy. And so, it's almost like Paul gets everybody lost. I mean, you can be religious and lost, and the lost are lost. We already knew that. And you can have a depraved mind, chapter 1, and then he just keeps moving. And you can be religious and lost. And this, like, Paul gets to chapter 7, and he feels this real need to just come clean and be totally transparent. Watch this about his own struggles in life. I love this. You're going to love it, too. Romans 7, here's what he said, verse 14. He said, he said the, trouble, the trouble's not with the law. The law's good. The law's spiritual. The law's good. The trouble, the trouble's with me. I underlined this next sentence in my notes. I am all too human. And I underlined that. I am all too human, a slave to sin. That's what Paul says. And that could have been my own words. I could have, I could have written this myself. He said, I really don't understand myself. Anybody? Anybody? You're already processing. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't, you're right. I don't understand myself. I, I want to do what's right. I really do. And I can look at you and say, I want to do what's right. I just don't always do it. Instead, I... I do the thing I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. I'm not the one. It's, it's sin. It's the sin that, that's in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Because here's the thing. I want to do what's right. But I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, then I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And you thought the Bible was hard to understand. Because people tell me all the time, oh, Pastor, I would, re I, would get in the, I would read the Bible, but, oh, I just don't understand it. Did anything, was anything confusing to you as I read through this passage? Did you feel like, you know what, I could have I written that too. That is me. Paul's telling my story. So for the, those of you that are followers of Jesus, do you ever feel like, if you're gut level honest, I'm going to do a show of hands on this one, do you ever feel like you're really not good enough to be a Christian? You know what I'm talking about? You get up maybe, I don't know, maybe it's Saturday morning after Friday night. Maybe it's Sunday morning after Saturday night. Maybe it's Sunday morning after Friday and Saturday night. Maybe it's Sunday morning after Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We used to start partying on Thursday. Anyway, that's another story. I was a professional. You see, Here's the thing. You think you're living this good Christian life, right? Maybe you're doing good. Maybe you went to church one Sunday. The preacher's message was red hot. You felt conviction, and you repented, 
and maybe you left the church that day with good intentions in your heart. I, you know what? I'm stopping all the bad stuff. I'm going to start doing the good stuff. And you know what? You were doing so good, and then from out of nowhere, you were completely blindsided. And you were blindsided by sin, and you found yourself in the same old place that you've been before. It was temptation. Or let's be honest, if you're me, I, I can't blame it on temptation. I planned it. A anybody else like me? I mean, you, you know, you, you, you plan sin. I know that what I'm fixing to do is going to be sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so you had a plan, and you followed through with your plan, and you, it led you to sin, and you committed the sin, and then you were overwhelmed with guilt and shame. By the darkness of your own heart. Folks, that's why we all need the gospel. Now I want to put this next sentence up on the screen. And I want, you to, I want you to read it. I want you to think about it. I want you to process it just for a second. If you try to earn your worth before God, if you try to earn your worth before God, you will constantly feel inadequate because you, can, you can't hit the target. And the target, just so you know, is perfection. The target is, was the life that Jesus lived. And, and so you're going to try to hit the target, but you cannot hit the target. And so you're going to walk away. You're going to think, you know what? I'm just inadequate. I'll never be able to get it right. You're going to find that you lack. I don't have the ability to pull this off. I can't do it. And you know what you're going to end up with? You're going to end up with condemnation. You're going to feel condemned. You know why? Because you tried to hit the mark. You couldn't do it. You're overwhelmed with your own sinfulness and your inability to be perfect. And so you say, forget it. I can't do it. But when Jesus earns your worth for you, everything changes. This is really super important, so important for me that I want to put this next sentence up on the screen as well. And it is this. How you feel about your relationship with God is directly dependent on who you think you are. Let that sink in. Your relationship with God is directly dependent on who you think you are. If you believe that God is this big, powerful, perfect, awesome, just, holy God, which of course he is, then how can you relate to God being the sinner that you are? You can't. And that's where we struggle. Come on, if you're a follower of Jesus, am I, am I talking to you? Have I got your number right now? How do I have your number? Because it's mine. And so you feel like I, there's, I, there, I, there's no hope for me. I'm never going to get this right. And when you start to think about your relationship with this huge, holy God, when you think that that's based on your worth and how good you are, condemnation will always have a major foothold in your life. However, if we can see our identity in Christ, our relationship with God will radically change. It's changed my life life.
I'm not the person I used to be. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't process the way I used to process. So, so Paul says to this mixed bag of believers in Rome who are struggling to get their, the foundation for their salvation, here's what he says in Romans 8. Be patient. We're just going to go to the end of the book. I'm just kidding. Romans 8, he says, so now, so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He just said seven. He said, man, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Things I, I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, the very thing that I know is evil, the very thing that I know is sin, it's the very thing I do. And then, and then he, he shares all that, and then he says, but here's the sweet news of Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us. Well, how many knew that? Man, I love the Ten Commandments. They're awesome. But they didn't lead me to salvation. How about you? How many perfect people do we have that's kept all ten? This won't be your church. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. <laughs> he sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, <laughs> God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So the bad news, the really, really bad news is that we're all sinners. That's the bad news. The good news, the really, really good news is that God provided, He provided a way out. And maybe you're thinking, maybe you're processing this, and maybe you're thinking, like I've thought over the years, wait a minute, but how can there be no condemnation? Like, I get the cross, it's awesome. And what Jesus did on the cross, but the problem is, I still sin, like I sin every day. Like all day, every day. And I don't want to. And sometimes, be truth, I do want to. I know that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, but I keep on sinning. How does this work? So I want to take you to one of my favorite verses. I want to show you what happened the day that you accepted Christ as your Savior. That you accepted the just payment that was made. It's out of Isaiah. Isaiah 61. Ah, it's a beautiful verse. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. What is this? <laughs> For he has clothed me. 
with garments of salvation. And he arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And, and that's why there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. <clears throat> when we stand before God on our own, we stand as sinners. And in all of our good works, according to Isaiah, is no more than filthy rags in his sight. But here's what God does. God said, you accept what my son did for you. That he, he paid the penalty for your sin. So, you believe in the resurrection. And so, here's, and so I'm going I'm to I'm clothe you with my righteousness. It'll set you free. It'll set you free. So when you stand before God, how do I boldly approach the throne of God? I sin every day. How, how do I go to Him with no condemnation? Because it's not about your righteousness. It's about His. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's why we desperately need the gospel. Because it's our only hope cross the gospel the good news of Jesus answers it answers our cry for mercy